Hello everyone, this is Sonali Mangal and welcome to another episode of Learn, Educate, Discover. On this podcast, we invite people from different professions on each of our episodes and we ask them a range of questions to try and understand what their job is all about. The goal of this podcast is to try and educate our listeners about as many different kind of jobs as we can so that someone listening to the show can decide does a certain job sound interesting to them and if yes, how do they go about exploring it further. On today's show, our focus is going to be on film production, which is the process of making a film right from the initial stages of a concept or a story or an idea through script writing to casting to shooting and then finally presenting the movie in front of an audience. To help us understand this area, our guest on today's show is Mike Saraswat, who is not only a film producer, but has also started his own film production company called Ecstasy. You can check it out at ecstasy.co, that's E-K-S-T-A-S-Y dot C-O. Mike has a background in media and communications. He got his bachelor's in film and TV production from University of Westminster, after which he also did his master's in media and communications at the London School of Economics. After graduating from LSE in 2007, Mike started Ecstasy, and today it is a very successful company with brand names such as Samsung, Sony, 3M, and Mazda as its clients. Mike's work has also won many awards, such as the Bronze Award in Creative Excellence at the U.S. International Film and Video Festival in 2014, and the Best of Festival Film Grand Prix and first place Golden Camera Award at the U.S. International Film and Video Festival 2015. So clearly, Mike comes with a lot of experience in this space, and on today's show, he'll be sharing a lot of details to help us understand what working as a film producer is like, and also, how do you start a company in this space and take it to such successful levels as he's done with Ecstasy. So without further ado, let's see what Mike has to share with us today. Hey Mike, how are you? Thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, yes. Yeah, so are you joining us from London right now? Yes, um, I'm speaking to you from London, yes. All right, so Mike, if I take a look at your bio, you are an actor, you're a writer, you're a director, you're a producer. So given that you do so many things, if you're at a cocktail party, how do you introduce yourself? I tend to introduce myself as a traveling philosopher, a bit of a nomad. I just happen to have made a bit of money um, so I can afford the drink. <laughs> but um, I, I treat myself as a creator of all sorts. I have been fortunate to be able to monetize my creative endeavors, mostly through the form of film. Um, yeah, that's, that's what I would say. Yeah, so when did you even get interested in all of these things? I got interested uh, on a passionate level in music, uh, composing music, writing poems uh, when I was about 10. And um, then I got interested in debate and sort of debating for the school on a private level, sort of coming up with argumentation to and for the motion. Then I also got interested on the school level in writing, but my writing was extremely poor because I am heavily dyslexic and that always went against me. Um, I had good vocabulary, I had uh, amazing writing skills, I would say, in the sense that I could structure a very long essay really well, 
I could visualize it, but I had trouble writing the damn thing. So in my first year of university, when I had a computer and I could type my essay on a WordPress, I was very, very fortunate uh, and thanked Bill Gates or whoever needed. <laughs> yeah. So since you started at such a young age, first of all, how were you even introduced to this? Like, Did you just start on your own or did you grow up in a household where there was a lot of exposure to arts, maybe through your parents or your friends? There was exposure in my house to literature and philosophy, but not to the form of music or film as such. I remember I did not watch a cinema movie till the time I was 15. Wow, okay. Um, I, we, we were not allowed to have films that showed violence of any kind. And in general, films were considered to be the lower form of entertainment. So there was a bit of a conflict there. But I was never really passionate about filmmaking in, um, in my teens. I was really into songwriting. Um, and then composing music around it, or composing music um, and then putting lyrics to it. That was my primary passion. Uh, but from a family point of view, it was mostly literature that was looked upon highly, and philosophy. I see. So what kind of music were you writing? Um, I never got the opportunity to buy records or be introduced to any kind of you know classical music or be trained in it, uh, either Western or Asian or Indian classical music. But I was fortunate enough to have my own creative ignorance and my own little, uh, I, I call it my support system, uh, my personal support system, because I did not have anyone else to bounce ideas with or collaborate with. So it was quite a lonely childhood that way, but not a sad one. I wouldn't, I wouldn't particularly market it as, oh my God, it was horrible. But it was creatively not as exciting as it could have been, because looking back at it, if I could have been able to share it with a lot of people of similar interests, I, I could have sort of done a lot of other things. Um, maybe excelled uh, professionally in music uh, from the very beginning. But uh, my influence was, unfortunately, very much myself. <laughs> I yeah. used to perform for myself. I used to sing for myself. I, I was my own audience. And then suddenly uh, school started to recognize that. So I started to sing a little at school. But again, I had a problem because they wanted me to sing film songs. I had never heard a film song, or, unless it was ridiculously popular. Mm. Um, so it was difficult because I only sang my own songs. I had my own music, and people were like, oh, i never really heard that before. I'm like, okay, forget it then. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So you mentioned that for quite some time, before your school started recognizing your, your talent, you were singing and composing for yourself. What was your inspiration at that time? I love my own voice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think a lot of people in the creative trade start off with the first true love, and that is for themselves. I think I will say that to anyone without shame. Um, there are a lot of people who are naysayers out there. You've got to start with your own fan, and you've got to be your own fan, huge fan, and it'll help you fight through tough times in life. And so I was my biggest fan um, when I was young. 
Mm-hmm. That's how it started. And I believed in myself so much that other people started to say, there must be something he must be doing right. <laughs> Otherwise he's mad. So yeah, that's that's how I kind of pushed myself in the right direction. Yeah. So approximately speaking, from the time you started dabbling in, in music and poetry to the time that you started getting some kind of recognition, how long do you think that period was? I wouldn't say it was a major recognition anyway, of course, you know, competing in school songs and inter-school activity. But yeah, I think at that age for that kind of activity was key and that was considered to be the the most important thing that you could do. I would say uh, within a couple of years. I started writing when I was 10 and I think by the time I was 12 or 13, I, I started to perform. Yeah. Okay. And during that time, did you ever feel the need for, I mean, you were pretty young, but did you feel the need for some kind of external validation? Or like, did you ever feel that, hey, no one seems to care for what I love doing? Uh, I would like to be a bit cool and say, yeah, it didn't matter. But <laughs> I think it did matter. You know, I think we all as artists are very lonely people. Uh, and it's not a sad thing, it's the way we are. This is what I say. Every creative person, irrespective of what they believe in, is actually an introverted extrovert. And anyone who is going through that emotion should actually recognize that and not betray that emotion. You've got to respect that. I say introverted extrovert because if you're a writer, painter, singer, you're a creative professional, you need to spend a lot of time with yourself and your art form. And for that, you need to be massively introverted so you can shut the noise from outside. Mm -hmm. But then once you've done it, you've created something, you wish to share it, uh, whether on a platform or with friends or family. And, and that's when the extrovert comes out. That's when the salesman comes out. And that's why um, different people are good at different bits of it. Some guys are very good at, um, women and men are very good at sort of being good introverts. And, and some are very good at extroverting their emotions and their creations. But yeah. Where do you think you lie? I um, used to enjoy... When I started getting recognition, I got a lot of recognition. And being a teenager, I got a lot of affection from school teachers, you know, girls, and and I, and I thought that was so cool. This, this is awesome. <laughs> you know, it's, this is great. All these guys study so hard. I just sing a song. Job done. Um, and I felt that my creativity... Not at that time. I think I think it took me till early 20s when I realized that I was really not coming up with meaningful material. And I read uh, a little piece with Vinci, and um, he said, it is not about what you create, how important it is. What is important is the body of your work. And it is a very internal thing. So a body of work effectively is small or big, but the projects you do throughout your life. And I was living under the impression that we have infinite time. And that in the early 20s, that kind of shook shook up quite quickly. Mm. And so answering your question, I was an extrovert, extreme extrovert. But I very quickly in the early 20s realized that I wasn't creating anything of substance. So I had to spend time with myself. That's what I say. I have a phrase which I say that I started to take myself out on dates. And you need to do that. As an artist, you need to self-evaluate yourself constantly so you can um, help yourself grow. 
how do you go through that process of self-evaluation? I mean, especially I'm imagining that as an artist, you are working on something which is new. And by the definition of new, there is nothing really to compare yourself with. So how do you figure out how good or not good you are, if that's even important? It's interesting. I think it is important when I... There are different types of projects I currently do. So, you know, I I create a lot of, say, a TV ad or I create a big brand film for a major brand. And, of course, there are discussions in the room about how can we get a major following, how can we sell more products. And those are very valid points to discuss. That's brands, the machinery works on sales. And hence... You need to be conscious of what uh, what your benchmarks are. But I think on a creative level, uh, when I'm writing my feature films or I'm writing myself a poem or I'm writing a song, it is a very personal thing, extremely personal. And even when I'm writing a script or an idea, which w- what you would call the logline or a TV ad or a commercial project outright, the true idea it's very innocent. So I would always suggest to anyone who is trying to get into the creative processes, don't worry about your fans. Don't worry about how many people will listen to your song or how many will read your article. What is extremely important is whether you like it. You know, go back to the fact of whether it's you praiseworthy for you. And if you, in the first instance, don't feel it's right enough, then redo it. Do it mm. again. Till the time you're not satisfied, don't share it. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that is great because your audience, as you're saying, at the end of the day should just be yourself and you're just creating art for yourself and that's it. Yeah. Okay. So I've seen many artists start out at a very young age. Is, is that necessary? Or, or can you have like a 30-year-old suddenly getting interested in the creative process? Oh, absolutely, you can, you know... Um, especially in the art of film, because it's it's not just extremely creative. Say, if you were trying to be a painter, uh, then you got to be very very patient, right? So if you, I, well, I'm horrible at painting. So, but say for example, you wanted to be a painter, and yeah, at the age of thirty five or forty, you say, oh, I'd like to paint. But then you got to keep in mind that there is a big learning curve. Um, you know, you need to learn know how. Uh, different forms of art, not only appreciate art, but also know how to do it. It's it's a very, very skilled job. Similarly for, oh, I want to be a musician, um, where I play an instrument, and that too, to play it really well at a high professional level will take time. Mm-hmm. But there are innumerable examples, especially in film, where people wait years or don't even know what they want to do to the very later years of their life, and then suddenly decide, oh, you know what, just, oh, I might do that. Um, and that's why I think film is quite liberating as an art form, because it's not elitist. It kind of allows people entry at any time of their lives, and you can see results quite quickly, because it's very collaborative. It's not a single-man show. Uh, you know, you might write something, and then it's a story, then you have a screenplay writer who adapts the story for screen, and then you have a director who has his own take on it or her take on it, and you have a producer who brings it all together, then you have financiers who put money in it. There are different people at different stages of the process. And when you see it on the big screen, you feel proud of it because you 
feel you played a part, small or big. So, answer your question, I would say any creative form can be taken up at any age. Starting young is not a license for success, but it is definitely the more time you spend with anything and the more time you allow to suffer in the process and fail and fail and constantly fail, um, the more fruitful the results will be. And I say success is nothing more than a series of failures. Uh, so you might think that somebody, oh, my God, he's, uh, he's successful. But um, to himself or herself, that person might just be, okay, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's relative. It's extremely relative. Um, you finish a project and then you feel, especially in my case, I finish a project and I go, oh, okay, we made some money and it was a decent film. I feel very restless now. I need to move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it is wh- where and how you define success. What do you think is the importance of failure in the creative process, and how do you even define failure? The importance of the failure is uh, paramount. Prior to that, I should define failure. Again, I will judge it by a selfish benchmark of excellence, not what your peers think, you know, not, not what your partner, your family or anyone thinks. Of course, all of that comes later and it's, it is in your interest to take input as much as you feel comfortable, taking feedback on, especially when you're releasing something commercial. It's always good to do focus groups and, and feedback sessions. But the very first time you create something, you write something, you paint something, you, you sing the first bit or you make your first film, it's... Failure is in the fact whether you're satisfied or not. If you're not satisfied, you've failed. And even if you are satisfied, you're not satisfied just enough. You'll never be. It is it's very tricky because artists keep painting regularly till the time they die. They re, you know, repaint their canvas over and over again. Um, you know, they'll start with an apple and, and paint on top of it a window and then on top of a chair and then it'll turn into a market scene and then it'll turn into a whale or you know and it's just it's it's just crazy um, how much and and similarly for musicians they will use a piece of music and use that loop so I would say defining success is um, your own quality benchmark and you will definitely always fail. But success is the ability to rise from each failure and say, you know what, I'll do it again. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a bit sadistic in the sense that you enjoy being pushed down all the time. You need to enjoy being, oh, hit me one more time. Oh, nice, that felt nice. I <laughs> did <Do> it again. <laughs> um, so you need to start enjoying uh, the pushbacks. And most of the pushbacks will come in the early days from yourselves and go, oh, this is not good enough. I don't think people really share this video. It's pretty crap. Mm. That's good. That's good. Yeah, I think that's a great way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. All right, so going back to your background, what was your thought process then of uh, going and getting some sort of formal degree around media and communications and how did you even pick up the subjects to study further? Well, I was always under this mindset that I started to read a lot of books on entrepreneurship and business and, and I said, well, if the ultimate objective is to make money, none of this education is going to make me cash. 
And to me, the ultimate objective was to be happy. And happiness is a very subjective notion. So I said, how can I be happy and still make money? <laughs> so yes, I did take a lot of things in my own hands. After school, I, um, of course, parents suggested the more professional routes. And, um, but I, you know, I just held my ground and I said, well, I don't know what I'm doing. But I would like to study film. And I have no guarantee that I will succeed. And this is one thing that I will encourage every young person to do, is be so honest and work with the worst case scenario to put your best efforts. Very important. So you've got to work with fail scenario to put your best efforts in. Um, so declare to everyone, listen, there is no guarantee I will succeed, even to yourself, but I will do it for the heck of it, and I will do it really well. Um, and I say, so it's not about winning the war, it's how well you fought the war. Um, and it's not about winning every battle, it's about winning the final war. So you can't win everything, you can't win every stage. But it's important that every knockback, you bounce back again, keep going. It's like, a, you know, the army of ants. Also observe. I think observing is really good. I started to observe a lot of things, and I started to observe persistence. I came up with my little own strategy of, um, which I call a PPH a rule, which is you know, you you are persistent, you are passionate, and you are humble. So you're persistent for something that you're passionate about, uh, and when you see any kind of result, either on a personal level group recognition, national or international recognition, or ultimately financial recognition, you are humble about it. And then you go back to the loop and start again from being persistent. So what that does is it takes you from step one, step five, to step ten, and suddenly you start jumping and, and running and flying steps because you are doing this loop so very well. You're never standing there and going, oh my God, I'm so amazing. You're just going, you know what, I'm just a lucky trick. I might fail any time, but I'm going to give this another try. Mm. And that humility helps you stay creative and honest with your art form. So when you were, your parents were telling you to go after some of the more professional or the more traditional career paths, what was your fail scenario? As you suggested that it's important to work with failure scenario. What was yours? And did My, you yeah, get... that's a good question. Go ahead. That's a, that's a good question. I, I used to joke with them. I said, well, I'll just tell you. My failed scenario is that I will open a tea stall. <laughs> um, were you serious about that? No, I was absolutely serious. I said, well, if at the end of the day, you know, I just want a house, um, and uh, I can still continue to make songs, and I'll just open a tea stall. I love the guys who used to sell tea at railway stations, you know, and uh, in, in India when I was growing up, and I was like, this is, this is quite entrepreneurial. You sell different flavors of tea, and you can have a little tea stall, and I really like the idea. Uh, and, I, and I said, well, um, but then it was looked down upon, because it was a small business, and people were like, oh, yeah, look at these guys, and I'm like, well, that's, that's quite beautiful. So I just told them very honestly, but it's very important, and this is what I say to the young person, not to be stubborn. Because the other person is actually trying to say something good, and they're always trying to say something good. They're trying to protect you. That's what they think, which is true in a way. But at the end of the day, it's your life. 
It's finite, not infinite. Finite. And you can die any time. You, I, 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 people think it's sad, but I actually believe. Literally, you can die any time. It's a fact. So you've got to be confident and take life and hold it with both hands. And, um, yeah, so that was my failed scenario. I said, listen, be confident about your failed scenario. You know, oh, did you still work? I don't know, I'd uh, open a you know, newspaper stand or something, just just carry on with it, and uh, don't have an issue with that, because I'm sorry, I couldn't help you. You know, see, there is an element of selfishness there, but you need to have that to be able to succeed. So, if I were to ask you to name some successful people, who comes to your mind? How do you define successful? That's up to you. Whoever you think is your definition of successful. I've always championed um, someone who might not have been commercially very successful, but um, might have had the guts to follow his or her own creative passion or, or the desire to live. I was actually fascinated. It's, it's, I was fascinated when I was growing up in India. I was fascinated by um, the rickshaw pullers and I was extremely fascinated by them. And I felt that they were very successful because by the time they finish their day, you know, it's a very physical, hard labor. Um, they earn an honest living. That's what they know, and they know well. Uh, and um, it's quite a demanding job. And I felt that that was extremely successful from, from a standpoint of a person being satisfied with the day. And I feel as creatives, that is all we're looking for. We're looking for being satisfied with whatever we create on a day-to-day basis. Uh, a body of work is a is nothing but a montage of several days and hours and minutes put together. And I felt that honest honest labor and, uh, and doing it consistently over and over again on a daily basis was quite successful. On a commercial point of view, I'm a huge fan of Elon Musk mm-hmm. um, on a current level. I read people such as Napoleon Hill and um, Carnegie for all his sins. Um, <laughs> but um, I don't have one role model, and I think nobody should, because we fundamentally are flawed, and that's where our creative genius falls. Um, we are flawed individuals. What we should be doing is recognizing and appreciating every flawed individual and say well but I like that about you or I like that thing about you and and that's all you need to do is collect good bits from everyone so you know don't take up smoking because your role model smokes um, or don't take up drinking because that's cool because XYZ an actor or a singer or a, or a famous person does that yeah no I think and I think it's a great suggestion to pick up bits and pieces of things that you admire and would like to probably do yourself from different people as opposed to trying and emulating one person in their entirety. So going to your decision to then pursue the arts because you felt that was one way to A, make you happy and hopefully also give you a shot at making money. What made you pick film production? Uh, I mean, you were interested in music, you were interested in writing why not some of the other arts? Why did you pick film production? Well, I wanted to, um, the honest answer is I wanted to um, start off being a musician. I um, 
even though I'm so confident, I did not have formal training. When I left India about 14 years ago, I, um, I was quite young and um, I did not have any direction. I made my own little band at university and it did okay. And I just, I did not feel I was in charge of my creative process. And I don't think I was skillful enough to be able to create exceptional music. I realized that others might differ, but I realized I said, well, I can make pop, but I can't make exceptional music. You know, I can't be Michael Jackson or the Whitney Houston of my world. You know, I am not exceptional. Um, and that was a re reality check I had to do with myself. But in hindsight, when I now know video very well and film very well, I can actually make a, uh, a sell on a commercial level a song on the power of his new, on the video. And people will download it and share it just because the video is so cool and, and, and the advent of looping music, uh, which you call sound libraries, and now makes everyone become a, a superstar because you... Uh, you don't really have to have singing capabilities or music capabilities. Somebody just arranges the thing for you and you just repeat that line till the time it sounds right and um, you mix it. Oh, yeah, that's that's commercially viable, but I felt I would have cheated my true artist inside of me, which was to be honest with your art form. And because of my lack of training, I did not feel I was ready enough for the international stage on a commercial level to give it a good fight. Whereas on the flip side, I felt... Film was the only medium where I could bring all my creative interests in one place. I wrote, I sang, I um, I had these visuals, I did dramatics. I said, well, so film is where you bring all of this together. Um, and that's how I got into film. Um, initially, I did not enjoy it that much. The actual production process, it was very cumbersome. I liked coming up with theories of film discourse around film, uh, but I hated the idea of being a film critique. So it did take time. I, I realized that I was trying to do many things by myself, and so I opened up the idea of collaboration. That's where things started to become easy, because in the film world, when you're producing, say, on the production stage, you have got... Um, you know, if I am a director, I have a cinematographer who will create that perfect vision um, and set that lighting so that the angle of, you know, if I say, oh, it's, an, it's a dolly shot and I want this kind of lighting, this kind of mood, mm -hmm. we will go do it. Um, I was like, oh, this is quite good. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's when I started to enjoy it. So uh, answering your question, I did not fall in love with film right away. It was a gradual process of trial and error. I made a couple of documentaries at school level, sorry, university level. And, yeah, they were okay. But um, when I started to enjoy making films with collaboration, um, that's when I realized that actually I could make money. So at this point, I think it would be helpful if you can give us an overview of the film industry and where does film production come in? And then, of course, get into the details of what film production itself is. Well, okay, so film is um, moving pictures. A film can be anything, really. A film could be a film for a company um, to express what the company is about. 
or film could be a, a film that you see in the cinema, commercial film, or it could be a TV series on television, or it could be you watching a series on Netflix or Hulu or something like that. So film can be in any shape or form. The film industry as such is the commercial aspect of film where a body of trade people, creatives, who specialize in different aspects. So somebody is good at camera, somebody is good at sound, somebody is good at acting, somebody is good at writing, directing, producing, different job roles. They all come together and say, you know what, what are we going to make, make this to a real product? So yeah, for, for film is a what, what is called a team art rather than being a individual art. When you were in school, what prompted you to start your own company? Actually, my first question is, is it possible to become a film producer without having your own company? The answer to that is you absolutely don't need to have a company to be a film producer. But um, it makes your life so much easier if you have your own uh, business mm -hmm. because production is a very systematic methodical operation it's all about managing finance and managing human resource and it's very technical from a point of view of uh, being very logical as well so you don't have to be extremely creative you just need to be a good people's person having people employed by that company either temporarily or full-time contracts and and all by project by project and working your way around that feature films tend to be larger production or larger businesses in their own right each film is actually its own business it employs people for a certain duration actors crew people in front of camera people behind camera people who work in the post-production settings of editors, sound designers, music composers, colorists, uh, special effects artists, and the whole lot, you know, animators. And, so, and, and it's, it's like a moving circus. They all come together for whatever, six, seven, eight, nine months, create the project, and off they go. Um, so having a, f a company really helps, but it's also a limitation because in the early days, you'll try and find... Um, how best to start a company and it's quite challenging because you have to go through accounting you have to go through legal procedures you need to know how to do a good contract so you have to keep your eyes open you can't just say i just want to make a good film you can get lucky uh, as a creative person and somebody actually takes that headache away from you or a larger studio says you know what i'll support you that's fantastic but um Nine out of ten cases, that's not going to happen. Uh, it is an extremely tough industry. You would have, on an average, um, the going rate is that over 90% of students who actually study media or film, and it's, 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 an, it's an international stat, um, will never work. In. Oh, really? Okay. All right. So just a follow-up question. The, that one person who does get signed by... Um, the production company. What do you think makes them stand out? Depends what job role you are doing. If you're not starting your own company, then first you need to know what you want to do. So you want to be a producer, you want to be a writer, director, uh, which there are three steps of film. So there is the pre-production, production, post-production. Post pre-production is all about the idea, the story, and the screenplay. There are three clear jobs there. So somebody who comes up with ideas, 
and people in who are also actually um, they kind of overlap with writers who write the story as well and then you have guys who take the story and then adapt it into a screenplay that is an art to adapt it to uh, take a book or short story and turn it into a feature film screenplay is an art which people should start learning right away because even if you want to be a director or camera person but to know how a screenplay is written uh, and appreciate the technicality of a screenplay is important it's not difficult you can do it over a summer or three months you can write a couple of screenplays understand the process but it's important to understand how a screenplay is written so those are the key uh, jobs there during the production stage you find uh, things such as um, yeah there's a whole host of jobs on set uh, from makeup artists to uh, runners to lighting technicians to cinematographers uh, of course the bigger job roles are uh, director of photography you have the director the line producer uh, the person who runs the daily tallies of financing and suppliers uh, procurement uh, it, it is like a machine then the people who do costume, then people who do casting, you know, looking after actors. It's a, it's a whole host of machines there. You have even people who look after catering. Uh, you don't have to be particularly creative to be involved with film. You, you could be a very good cook, but you could be on a film set, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So the idea that you have to be ridiculously talented to be involved with film is wrong, yeah. Uh, and even those who are not just talented, they're ridiculously lucky. So accepting the factor of chance and knowing that you can get a chance, and when you do, you will rise up to it, and knowing that you might not get the chance, and if you don't, you won't sulk about it. It's very important. You know, you need to man up to the, op- the, the opportunity given to you and man up to the time that you're sitting on the side. Mm-hmm. And then in post-production, you have a host of other jobs, from editors, colorists, as I was saying, yeah, and from sound, above and all that. So you need to learn your craft and learn it well and build your portfolio if you're not trying to get a company under your name. So have your own portfolio. That is key. Whether you're a sound guy, director, writer, special effects person, have your showreel, have your samples of work ready. All right, that's super helpful. So when you were starting Ecstasy, what was your thought process? And did you decide to go after a certain niche? How did you sort of think about, you know, hey, I, I think I should start a company. This is what it should be doing. Uh, it was very difficult. It wasn't easy at all. So some of the most stressful years of my life, of, um, you know, the first three years, it's not enjoyable. A lot of people might think, oh, it's all glamorous, and uh, unfortunately it's not. So you have to be persistent with it. The thought process, there was no real clear plan. Um, you had to just run it on a, on a day-to-day basis, but adapt very quickly. Um, one thing that helped me was to come up with products. Uh, I initially wanted to start making feature films, but I soon found out that for getting financed for it was very difficult. So I said, what's the secondest option? And that is to put creative ideas to ads and, and films and companies. And but that too was very tough because you needed to build a portfolio. So I started talking to a lot of other established directors. And I said, listen, guys, I, I, I will sell. 
I will be a hustler, I will push it out there, but you need to join Creds and team up with Ecstasy. And uh, the idea of Ecstasy is to actually, well, ecstatic, you know, it's, um, it's, 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 it's have that abundance of joy, people who are working in it and people who we work for, they are proud and and have a sense of purpose, either that they're representing their brand or their company or their product. But it was very tough, but I soon realized that building small portfolio work was important. So we did some smaller company jobs uh, where we created short films, but I must say it wasn't a pleasant experience at all. So I didn't want an unrealistic picture. It's an extremely lonely process. Um, you will be challenged by um, all sorts of doubts from people, but most importantly from yourself. Uh, I started some other companies to uh, make sure that I get money coming in for ecstasy. I am, you know, I had um, everything from app development to software to things I don't even know. I'm not a techie person, but there was a demand. I said, okay, well, if there's a greater demand, now we'll try and start doing that. And that was a big mistake because my time spent doing things that I didn't truly enjoy because I was scared. I was scared that nobody will buy my idea because it's just, who am I? That's where you need to have a bit of confidence and actually approach people as humans and actually know that the people you're approaching are scared or actually they might be senior, but they are playing in the same game of life as you are, just at a different level. If you have a good idea, don't be shy in saying what you know what you think might work, and that's how it worked. You know, we signed up some very big clients uh, in our fourth year, and our success was truly down to the fact that we spoke what we believed in, and we did not budge from the price that we wanted to quote. You know, in the first three years, we had ridiculously low pricing, and we tried to grade people on cost, and uh, soon realized there was a need for doing that. Uh, what was important is to stay true to the pricing model we believed was fair and most importantly focus on the product focus on the creative process um, rather than focusing on anything else around it um, product 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 is everything and even every creative whether it's a film a song a piece of art is a product um, if, if you're trying to sell it or you're trying to get revenue out of it so yeah so focusing on it uh, as a product, it's the most helpful thing. Right. So I have a lot of questions. Uh, first of all, so you started out, you wanted to become a film producer. You started your own company. How would you describe the role of a film producer? And then how has your role evolved from the time when you initially started your company and now that it's a very well-established company, how has your role evolved? So um, I actually never really started out saying, oh, I'll become a producer. Becoming producer was more of a necessity to doing other creative things. Uh, Even though, having said that, when I did take that role on, it was quite enjoyable. It was uh, well-paid and uh, well-respected. But um, I actually wanted to uh, do more of a creative thing. So I used to do a lot of theatre. I used to act. I used to sort of write a lot of stuff and direct and nobody really paid heed they're like who the hell are you you know so uh, <laughs> I, I I read a little story from what Sylvester Stallone did when he was trying to sell Rocky and he struggled with the script for 10 years knocking every production house the door of every production house and saying guys you know this is a great boxer film 
they're like, who the hell wants to see somebody, uh, you know, like that rubbish script? Nobody will see it. And then one production house said, okay, well, we'll have you on. But then he insisted that he wanted to act in it. And then the production house said, well, that's not clearly happening. Have you seen yourself in the mirror? You look, you look awful. And that was interesting because he decided not to agree with that. And he says, well, okay, if that's what you believe in, I'll continue looking for that perfect opportunity. And it came a time when after 10 years, he found a couple of maids in the industry. And they found a suspicious backer. A suspicious in the sense the backer was not completely on board, but said, okay, I'll take a punt for very little money. And they made the first Rocky on the lowest micro-budgets that they could ever be, or Hollywood movies. And he acted in it, and it was one of the highest crossing movies and one of the best return on investment films there ever is. Mm-hmm. And it became a franchise, and Stallone became a, you know, icon. Now, I, I realized that there was a powerful um, sort of, you know, uh, message there that you don't necessarily, especially in the business of film, have to give up what you truly believe in, but just continue pushing your voice, and one day might be heard, very important to say, might be heard, uh, because it might never be. So, but you need to have that belief. That's that's why I started Ecstasy. I felt, well, I've got so many ideas, I want to make major features. So maybe one day we can do that. Maybe one day I can act on some big features. Maybe one day I can direct big features. And that is what has kept us going. And it has brought us so far where we have made big commercials, major brand films, people like Samsung and LG. But um, we're still, uh, after producing our own feature films and also um, having opportunity to direct features, I've just finished a feature-length, writing a feature-length, it's a sports drama, (laughs) which I'm trying to get made in the next two years with proper budgets. And so, yeah, the dream is still alive. You can never let go of that true dream. So... Answering your question, I never really started off thinking I want to be a producer. It was a necessity because I adapted myself. Very important. You need to adapt for your bigger goal. The option was either I become an assistant director for 10 years before I actually get my true break to direct, or I start my own company. I said, which is more financially beneficial? Well, both is both is hard, both routes. In both routes, you can spend 10, 12 years struggling. And why not struggle uh, by making your own company? So... That was the honest sort of uh, take on. Now that's a great way to think about it. For the benefit of our listeners, how would you describe the role of a film producer? Uh, The role of a film producer is is more of an organizer and a caretaker. So you have to be uh, stern with certain people at some times, and then you have to also be caring and loving at the others. You have to strike the perfect balance. Um, you have to be extremely well organized, which I'm not. So I've got loads of bells and whistles, reminders and things all over my technical world. But um, I think it's more of an organizing role and making sure you don't get phased by a little obstacles. Oh, gosh, um, somebody's tire got punctured, so that camera guy can't turn up. Okay, find somebody else. Calm down, find somebody else. You have to be the coolest person on set because everybody else is panicking. Oh, I can't do this anymore. I don't like that person. Oh, wow, okay. I don't like the food. Everybody is a diva, right? And you need to be the calmest person on the set. The 
because ultimately, if a project succeeds, you will get the credit for it. And if it fails, it'll come down to you. So uh, creatively, the buck stops with the director. But organization-wise, bringing the project together, uh, it's all about the producer. Producer is the guy or the girl who brings the team together, makes sure the vision of the director is executed the way he or she wants it to. And then once the film is finished, edited, in the pan, as they say, then it goes to distribution and it gets seen by people in the cinemas. The producer is involved from day one till the very end, whereas a director might just come in during the production phase, actor during the production phase, whereas a producer needs to have the tenacity to hold on um, from the initial idea when the writer calls him and says, hey man, would you... Would you be interested in taking my project on board? I've got a great little film. The germ of a film starts from many different ways. So, But the producer is always in the heart of it. So a director might go up or a producer might lead a director to a party and say, and the director goes, yeah, I'm looking to make another film, but I'm going to go producer. And then you go, oh, okay, well, I'll help you. So it's, 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 it could be any number of ways, but the producer will start the process, hold on to it, get all the financing sorted. There is a misconception that the producer is also the financier. Hmm. That is not true. Um, in some cases, it does happen to be the case that a producer also puts his or her own money. But any of the major feature films that you do watch commercially, the producer's role is purely organizational, logistic, and seeing through it that the film is made, whereas the finance comes from various different sources and they are classified as balances right okay so i think it'll be helpful if you can walk us through an end-to-end project as you said producer is the one who is there from the start to the finish so right from the beginning and then just sort of a summary of the kind of decisions you might be taking as the project goes along at the very beginning which is the pre-production stage There are two types of producers. There is a creative producer and there is a financial producer. And these are very distinct production talents. And you will find professional producers to actually classify themselves accordingly. Um, I consider myself a uh, creative producer, so I do get involved creatively in projects I work on, which means that I would like to have a creative say. I wouldn't be nosy to the extent that if I'm not directing that project, uh, of course the director has the final say, but I would give my input for the director to mull upon it. Whereas a financial producer is somebody who does not care about creativity or the script or how the line was said or, you know, uh, what is the music and how does it sound. They are only interested in numbers. How many releases, whether we've got a named actor or not, how many screens it's going to hit, what is the estimated target per territory, am I going to make return on investment for my investors? And both of the type of producers are doing their job well. If you keep the financing and it goes right, it goes right really well. If you do the creative bit really well, then you've managed production in such a nice way that even a art house film could be a commercial success. <clears throat> so the role of both creative producers and financial producers is equally important. In the early stages of pre-production, the producer might have or will have on a regular basis uh, loads of meetings with, with the writer. 
a director might be attached to a project by then, or it might not. Depends on the project itself. But there will definitely be a writer. There will be some initial conversations going on regarding casting or who the lead can be, or getting a, a semi-famous person involved. So those are the initial conversations with the writer and the producer. It could be another way where a director comes up to a uh, producer and says, man, I've got this cracking idea, <laughs> but I want the script written. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, well, leave it with me. I love the idea. Sounds really cool. I would love to produce it. Let me find a writer who can write your vision. And so it is in my headache to source a writer, get them on board, get the contract sorted, make sure they're happy financially on the project, get a financier on board, who can actually fund what is called the development stage, where you're not even prepping, you're just developing the script. And then people start writing the script. Once the first draft of the script is written, the director is attached, then multiple drafts are written. Uh, uh, I was at a screenwriters convention a few weeks back, and uh, we had the uh, screenplay writer uh, from the Marvel series, and she said, you know, she wrote in Captain America, she Green Lantern, all those kind of things, and she said uh, on Captain America there were 14 screenplay writers, not one, but 14. Wow, yeah, that's a lot. So uh, who has the final creative say? You know, it's very difficult to say. These are big machines, <clears throat> whereas on the flip side, of course, but that was a $200 million film, so they want to cover all their, you know, blind spots, so they want to make sure... And if a writer did not write a line punchier enough, then they get another writer to rewrite it and rewrite it and rewrite it. And that's why many a times it loses a bit of flavor, but it's what they call a fail-safe film, which somehow or the other recover their cash mm-hmm. and go to make decent profit. So that's, of course, on a larger commercial scale, but the producer is the heart of it. The <clears throat> producer is somebody who uh, makes sure that these things are... Um, are made, uh, you know, you have 14 writers, you have a director, they help it, who will comment on all everyone's dreams. Um, you have financiers who ask, what's the next stage? What's the next stage? When can I see a return? Are we, you know, when is the principal photography going to start? It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. <laughs> it is a lot of pressure. Now, for somebody who will easily sort of bog down about stress and stressed about other things, mm. I don't think production is the thing they should do. It is not for you. Either you start doing things such as meditation. I do a lot of meditation myself. You need to develop a self-habit and understand yourself, know your boundaries, know when people are crossing your boundaries and push them back in a polite way. You need to build a way of communicating with people promptly um, because sometimes you don't have much time. So there is a lot of stuff that a producer is doing on a regular basis, from management to coordination to logistics to massaging egos. There are loads of egos, and creative industry has loads of egos. And it's quite understandable because everyone is an individual, talented creative, and they're just coming together to make one big film, and people will have their opinions. You're supposed to because you're a creative. That's a producer's job to understand, appreciate that, but at the same time make sure there are checks and balances in place so that the film gets made. You can't have an actor who walks out on you, or you can't have a director who says, to hell with this project, I'm off. Or, and if that does happen, then you find another one and find them very quickly because you might be spending hundreds of thousands of millions of pounds a day to uh, make a film. So uh, 
it it is it is what you call the reality of the world when you're producing a real film. You have real money and real financiers who want to see a real return on their investment, or actually want to see the film made at least. And that's where the producer's job might not sound very sexy, but it's quite powerful. It's extremely powerful. You are the man who holds for the duration the film is being made the strings of the purse. You have total control. You are the boss. People will listen to you. <laughs> so it's quite empowering. Right. But it's scary because if you made the wrong decision, then nobody will ever come back. Right. Right. So speaking as an outsider, you know, there is an impression and, and you just uh, mentioned yourself that it is a fairly stressful job. Can you give an example of a really crazy problem that you may have had to tackle or figure out during your time working as a film producer? Yeah, well, we were making a uh, feature recently and the financiers, it was European financed and uh, yeah, we were shooting in Oxford in a, in, in a palace and uh, it is a low budget film we were spending approximately about uh, fifty thousand pounds a day it was a uh, 30-day shoot the whole host there they were about 35 so it was a low budget film. So there were 35 crew members and at any given point in time 28 actors on set including the extras so uh, about 50 to 60 people that you're managing on a day-to-day basis and you need to make sure that there are call sheets for the following day and people are there, they're checked in at hotels and, and your assistants are making sure everything is working in the right order. And then suddenly you have an agent call you and go, sorry, my the actress you're going to have tomorrow uh, and she's going to be in six, role, six uh, scenes. She's going to be filmed over four days, next four days, won't be able to make it now, mm-hmm. because she has just been offered a, a bigger role on stage. Um, the first thing I thought was that is four days of filming. She is, it's all her scenes. It starts tomorrow at 9am. Right now it's 5pm. We're in Oxford. Not, not in a busy place. We're in the middle of nowhere, really. I don't have a substitute. Okay, well, so firstly, accept the reality um, that you might be burning £200,000 over four days. Okay, that's the fail. You know, remember the fail scenario. Go back to that always so it helps you realize. And then think of the bigger picture. And then immediately I thought of the bigger picture. I went, you know what, bigger scheme of things doesn't really matter. So that, that's the kind of combination you need to do with yourself. And that gives you the peace and calm, which not always, but mostly, will help you come up with an alternative solution. And all I did was I asked my casting manager and I said, well, listen, do you remember the couple of other ladies we had shortlisted? Give them a call and let me speak to the agent. I spoke to the agent. People like, yeah, this last minute, get her in in the first place. I said, well, listen... She was our second choice, but our first choice has fallen out. I'm on the phone to you. We're ready to make a deal. We need somebody to act in this role. Are you willing to help? So again, the point of being concise in moments of necessity. You have to be very direct, polite, but very direct. Mm-hmm. I said, are you willing to help? Because I'm willing to negotiate. And the first one said no. So no problem. I spoke to the second one. So you've got to be persistent. Again, going back to the formula of BBH, right? You've got to be persistent. And go back to being persistent. Call the second person up. 
So that's five, half five. And the second person said, okay, but I'll charge you double. And so we negotiate and we bring them, knock them down slightly, put the client in a nice hotel and everything and make them feel happy. And I said, okay, we will have, have somebody pick her up from her house and drive her down to the location. And we made that happen. So you need to make sure that you don't freeze. You need to think on your feet very fast. You cannot freeze. You just cannot freeze. You know, you've got to be so relaxed and say, okay, this is a new scenario, new situation. How am I going to tackle this? Keep your calm. Get the others to relax and take it from there. So we found, we found the replacement, and it took me hardly 20 minutes to do that. But the first oh, wow, okay. minute of that desperation, that sink that I felt. I said, my first project, four days, 200,000 pounds out of pocket. This is it, right? And then I used my techniques that I have to relax myself. I said, well, this is a failed fail scenario. But again, look at the bigger picture. It doesn't really make that much of a difference. It's just a little film. <laughs> and, uh, and then got my confidence back on, calmed the set down, calmed the financiers down spoke to the people, redirect, be concise, and try and make a deal. Very important. Try and close people. You've got to make a deal. You've got to be assertive and say exactly what you want. Uh, you cannot say, I was thinking that, no, I want this. <laughs> they give it to me. This is the price. Are you willing to make a deal? You need to be assertive. That's, that's where things start to that's a fantastic story. I'm curious to know, since you started with, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like uh, growing up uh, in your family, you didn't really have any background in the film industry. And you started this company from scratch, completely on your own. How did you find all of these great people to work with? How did you build your network and establish all of these connections? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really long, tough journey. It hasn't been easy. I read once, um, Richard Branson wrote uh, quite famously, so I think very important, read. Google is a great resource, free resource. It really depends what you search on it. Try and inculcate the habit of reading. If you can't read full books, now I'm highly dyslexic, that's why I rely on audiobooks. So reading to me is, a, is, is I get quite tense re trying to read. So I listen. It's easier for me. But find what you're comfortable with. You might not be able to read or listen, but you might be able to. You, my attention spans might be very small like mine. Then at least try and read summaries or quotes from people. And people who are saying something are talking from a lot of experience they're coming from, good or bad. There was a great experience that I read, a quote I read from Richard Branson, and he said, well, you think I'm a billionaire, but I'm a billionaire because I've got 200 different companies. You don't necessarily have to be passionate about each business you're doing. What you want to be passionate about is serving people. So all his businesses try and do, whether that's from Virgin Air to gyms and all different types of services and products. But all they're trying to do is offer you a experience of high-quality service. That's, that was his motto. And he invested in people. So my initial success was always hire smarter people than yourself. So you, you've got to have very little ego for doing that. You've got to bring somebody on board and say, man, you are ridiculously smart. 
I'm going to give you an opportunity to express yourself fully. And I'm going to give you promotions every time you are successful because I believe in you. And have and being a leader like that who is selfless, but making sure that you give the other person the opportunity to grow, um, will you will find people will go out of their way to make sure that your company is a success because they just don't believe then in the salary they get. They believe in you as a person. They believe in your entrepreneurial desire and passion, and they believe in the passion of the company. The company, many people confuse, is, is an entity. You know, ecstasy is living and breathing, I believe, living and breathing entity of its own, which has its own character, its own mood swings. And, uh, you need to respect ecstasy as a company, you need to respect your own company as a separate being. So, you know, in the early days, I, I used to, single man, I used to go out to loads of trade shows, across Europe, buy my flight tickets, on my credit cards, maxed out my cards, speak to people, pitch company films, loads of free ideas, use me. That was my thing. I said, listen, use me. Throw a brief at me and I'll give you a free idea. So that willingness to work tirelessly for endless hours for free, knowing that one day when I do make that first project, I'll start charging <laughs> after that. So... Um, and that's what happened, yes. No, that's great. So let's say there's someone who is in a similar situation as you were when you just started out and uh, they are pitching in front of a big company such as a Samsung or a Sony. What advice would you like to share with them? Don't go after a brand. Go after the most passionate customer. Can you <laughs> yeah. Keep in mind that they have, you talk monies up front very important. We were successful in getting Samsung and other people on board because we had some of the best ideas in the room. We spoke monies up front and they were very transparent and they were very honest. Uh, we were not the cheapest in the room, but we were very creative at, at a reasonable price. Mm -hmm. But it's important as a business owner, especially in a creative industry, or even as a freelancer, or even if you are trying to find employment, you need to know your rate. You want to be a director, you want to be a camera person, you've trained in it, you went to university, you learned cinematography, you have your own camera kit, or you know how to operate five or ten different cameras. You should know what your key talent set is, and then identify where you lie in the, if you're starting out, how much you should charge, or if you are midway through your career, how much you should now charge. You should know your price point very important. You cannot be operating in a commercial space without knowing your price point. How do you assess your price point? Do your competition, uh, survey, ask people. Sometimes I even pitched ideas to people, to companies, and I said, how much would you pay for it? That was interesting. Oh, well, uh, that's a tricky question. <laughs> I said, no, it's not a tricky question. <laughs> You've got to tell me how much you want to pay for this. That, um, that work, you got fair quotes? Uh, they range, they varied. And it, I came to a point, of course, with uh, over a year, two years, you start realizing what is your breaking point, hmm. uh, where, where you're sort of, you know, as a business, I'm, I'm not astute mathematically in any way, shape or form, but I can understand a you know, profit and loss sheet. It's, it's quite straightforward, really. How much money comes in and how much money goes out? And you very quickly start to realize how much money you need coming in. And you break that down by the number of projects that you need, and then you say, okay, well, 
should I charge more for each project or should I do more projects and charge less? Okay. It's not rocket science. It's pretty, <coughs> it's pretty straightforward. And, and once you've created a price point for yourself, then you go out there and, and, and you then try and get people to get excited about ideas. I never pitched price uh, right away with the idea, but I pitched the idea first, see how excited they became. And then I said, well, do you like the idea? I said, yes. Do you trust us as individuals? They said, yes. Do you see yourself working with us if we were to work together? And they said, potentially. So, well, okay, then why are we not working together? Let's not waste time. Um, I think you should also, as a business person, as a creative, you should read books on psychology. You should read books on human behavior. Very important. Or just journals. Understand how people behave in a group. It's very important because when you're in a pitching situation, you might be pitching software, you might be pitching a creative idea or a film. You have influencers, you have decision makers who are looking across the room to get consent from a colleague or looking at your colleague to see how how much they believe in the idea you are pitching. It's it's herd mentality and we cannot go away from that. We're very much animals. So I think uh, animal behavior and human psychology is something on a basic level we ought to understand. Yeah. So now that you've been running your own company in film production for so long, if there's something that you wish you had known when you started out, what would that be? Just do it. Um, you will spend a lot of time perfecting that website, perfecting that email newsletter, or your phone pitch. Get to the point and do it. When you pick up the phone, just say what is it about, and say, hello, I was thinking of, I, I might offer you a film. You know, rubbish. You know, <laughs> you're nowhere. You know, I'm a talented individual. I want to make films for you. When can I meet you? All right, so we'll just switch over gears to a few questions on helping people who might be interested in pursuing this kind of a career. So what kind of person, in your opinion, would really enjoy himself or herself in this job? Somebody who is not phased by um, constant change. You need to thrive in adversity and enjoy change you, you need to be enjoying cultures you need to be enjoying different types of sort of opinions you cannot be somebody who has very clear definitions of who they are you have to be quite fluid and you need to be very very relaxed about yourself to begin with so somebody has to be adaptable malleable they will be good at it and it's not necessary that you are malleable only then you need you will be good at it you can create yourself to be more receptive, to be more, um, you know, adaptive to change. And that's something you can do as an exercise. And maybe speaking about yourself or even other film producers that you have met in the industry, the best film producers, what do you think makes them stand out? Staying calm. So it's all coming down to just being not faced. It is the most important thing. It is the most important thing because at the end of the day, if you work with failed case scenarios, and the virtually the ultimate fail is that you will die one day, right? So anything that you do other than that, you are being successful. You know, you you look at people with serious disabilities, and you feel 
gosh, and, and, and a lot of them fight back. And you see, wow, that guy, and when they walk again, or, or they're able to speak again, that's the immense joy. That's what you call success. So knowing what is the true success for an individual, it is not money, it's not the film you're going to make, it's not somebody you make happy, but it's the constant realization that you are being a fighter, got to be a very, very good people's person and willing to adapt to change and not being faced by it is, is absolutely key. So is there something like a typical background for someone in this role? No. Uh, producers in this industry come from all sorts, people who might have studied something, uh, even, you know, as vague as history geography or sciences or for that matter people who never went to school uh, never went to university and they will be immensely successful people who might have been brought up on streets people and that is what i say film is an inclusive art it respects people it's not elitist whereas if you wanted to be a musician even if you were a poor musician you need to know how to play well <laughs> that's true otherwise you you can't really, if you can't play an instrument, you know, it's difficult. Whereas I would say the modern form of uh, music, if you, you know, if, if you have a good screen presence and, and an average voice, you can still have a chance. Whereas with film, you can learn a skill very quickly. You want to, oh, I fancy doing some sound recording on set. That's quite cool. A guy running around with a microphone. Oh, cool. I'll do that. Mm -hmm. uh, that'll take you three months to train. And suddenly you have a skill that you've learned so if someone wants to become a film producer, how do they even start? Start doing smaller projects, even if it's a project with a couple of your mates, but always do it. And a group is not defined as you alone. It has to be at least two more people in the production. So find somebody, if you are the producer, then be a producer. You could write, maybe you have written a film. And then you're the producer, but somebody who's producing also wants to direct. It's difficult. I've done it, uh, but it's okay to do it on very small projects. Maybe when you're filming four, five, six days, but if you're making feature films, you can't do that. It's a very clear, defined role. You can't be a full-time producer and a full-time director. Very difficult. But do it in a group, so you know the group dynamics, you know people's, and you will soon realize how even adults are babies. Oh, I'm hungry now. Oh, oh I'm tired now. Oh, I don't like you anymore now. You're like, <laughs> it's, it is challenging. So put a team together, three, four, five people, knowing their craft, get a script, <coughs> agree on terms, agree on locations, find a couple of actors, and make a little film. Even if it's a five-minute film, you know, a short film, make a film. And then once it's made, enjoy it. Celebrate. Throw a little, you know, nachos party or whatever. So it's very important recognize your small victories they train you to be more humble with your big victories because some people get so amazed by the stardom and feature films or you know the celebrity culture that they're not able to function after some time because they're just too starstruck even by their own success you need to be humble at all times so starting to celebrate even your smaller victories um, will allow you to grow a culture of, oh, it's no big deal. I celebrated my, you know, five-minute film, and yeah, this is just a bigger scale.
And so they are. So make your short films and make make them regularly. Make one every sort of two three months. Mm-hmm. All right. This was super helpful, Mike. Do you have any parting advice for anyone who might be interested in this industry? Just give it a try, and keep trying, and it, maybe you will succeed. All right. Thank you so much. I understand. I took a lot of your time, so thank you for being patient. It's okay. Do you have some more working time left now, or is it? Well, I, 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 I do. I have my next uh, shift coming up. Oh wow! So I'll three, yeah. Oh, you're a night person, it seems. Well, I'm a morning and a night person. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Thank you so much, Mike. Take care. Thanks. Thanks so much. All the best. Take All care. Bye. Thanks. Well. Good night. Bye. So that was Mike Sarsworth on film production and building his own company from scratch in the space. I hope you found today's episode as helpful and inspiring as I did. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes. It is called Learn, Educate, Discover. If you like what we are doing, please do rate the show on iTunes. It tells us that someone out there is enjoying what we are doing. As always, if you have feedback to share with us, or if you have suggestions on professions that we should include in our upcoming episodes please do share your ideas with us you can email us at learneducatediscover@gmail.com you can also follow us on twitter our twitter handle is @led_curator show notes from today's episode will be posted to our blog you can find our blog at medium.com/led_curator So, thank you so much for listening. On our next episode, we'll be talking about IT auditing, something very different from what we've been talking about today. So, stay tuned for that one. Until then, bye-bye.